Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. I want to take you to Scripture this morning, and uh, I, I want... I, Today, what I'm trying to do, I'm going to tell you up front what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to shift your understanding of who God is, okay? Uh, because there's a default understanding that we have of God. Everybody has it. Uh, I've yet to encounter somebody that doesn't. Everybody has this default kind of understanding of God that is not the way God wants us to understand him. He wants us to understand him differently. And I'll give you my title because uh, to Pastor Kimberly and Pastor Josiah, telling you the title is important. So I'm, I'm honoring them in this. My title is, Let's Make a Deal, Said God, Never. Uh, Let's Make a Deal, Said God, Never. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've done it, say, God, I'll do this if you do this. Lord, if you'll just do this, I'll go to church every Sunday. Maybe some of you are here because of that. I don't know. It's still going to be in church. Even if you made a deal. Uh, you know, or God, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some of my time. I'll give you some of my money. If only you'll get me through this. If you only get me through this kind of thing. Nobody ever said that. You know, nobody ever said that. We've all, we've all kind of been guilty of that from time to time. And I, and, and I want to kind of help you understand uh, what God's really like in all of that. Because we like to have, make transactions with God. And kind of fundamental to our understanding with God is this idea that, that if I do this, he'll do that. A, l- a little while ago, I had a really, to me it was a tragic conversation. Someone in our church had passed away as a result of cancer in our church, in different location, but in our church. And uh, she had been part of a group of people who were believing for healing, trusting God for healing, and, but she passed away. After fighting longer than I've ever seen anybody fight with a very, I mean, she showed up when everybody said she wouldn't show up. She came to church when everybody said she wouldn't be able to. She came out of a wheelchair when everybody said she'd be, confined to that wheelchair the rest of her life. It was amazing. But I had a conversation with somebody who had been in this group with her, and they'd been believing together. And As we were talking about it, this other person made this statement to me that just boldens, just emphasizes how we think about this sometimes. She said, well, it was sad she passed away, but she didn't have to. She just didn't exercise her faith. I probably have to say today that part of what I'm going to share with you today is I want to make sure we don't go there again. God is not under any obligation to respond to us on a deal basis. God, if I had more faith, you'd do more in my life. God, if I just gave, you'd bless me. We believe God wants to bless us, but not because we give. Right? So here, let's go to parable. Let's talk about, how many of you like parables? I love parables. How I many of you know what a parable? Wave at me if you know what I mean when I say parable. So a parable is the stories that Jesus told in the Bible to make a point. The problem is with the parable is not everybody always got the point. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the, the parables in Matthew chapter 20. Have you got a Bible? Who's got a Bible? Or on your, on your phone? On your phone? I'll tell you why. You need to kind of get it ready for this because uh, uh, I only got one set of scriptures on the screen. So you can only kind of sit back and read them that I've done all the work for you on the screen for the first bit. And the rest of the stuff, I want you to look up so you can see it in your Bible as well, okay? So is that all right? Yeah. Okay, Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. We'll read this through. 
And we can put it up on the screen. Uh, awesome. Incredible. Incredible. So here's, here's the story. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, or the landowner, who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Some of your translations might say denarius or something, a particular piece of, uh, a particular coin of that day. Uh, but the, it was the standard wage for somebody doing that kind of work, okay? So, and then at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. They weren't working a full day, so he just said, look, I'll, I'll pay you what's right. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon and again at 3 o'clock. He did the same thing. So he just kind of summed it up, but he went back to the same place where people were gathering to get hired, and he hired them. And then at 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? Now, let me just pause here for a minute just to give a little explanation. So in ancient Israel, so Israel where this took place, the normal workday was about 12 hours. I mean, eight-hour workday, four-day work week, that's a, that's a North American general, uh, more modern invention. Uh, so it was essentially you worked from the time the sun up, the sun came up because that's the first time you could work because there was no electricity. It was light enough to work, and you worked until it wasn't light enough to work anymore. Okay, so and in and you can look it up on Google if you want. I checked, so I'm I'm fact checking myself before I tell you this. But the 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 uh, the amount of daylight in Israel is always right around 12 hours. In fact, if you were to look up how uh, the, the sunrise in Jerusalem today, you'd find it's probably close to 6.30, and the sunset would be right around 6.30. So it was typical that 6 o'clock was the start of the morning. Everybody started work at 6, and everybody finished work at 6, right around that time. So that's why these numbers are in here, to give you kind of a clue how much of the day. So the, where this, this passage comes in, what I just said, at 5 o'clock, so knowing there was only about an hour of time left, this landowner comes and sees people not working, and he provides them a job for the last hour of the day. Now, so then it, so then it goes on, and he says, How, why haven't you been working? He says, because nobody hired us. And the landlord told him, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers. Last workers, the story wouldn't work if he started with the first workers. Right? Started with the last workers. And the last workers, and he uh, began to pay them. So those who were hired at 5 o'clock were paid. They received the full day's wage. Again, your Bible might say denarius. They received one. And when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed. They assumed. So they had been standing. You know, everybody's standing around waiting to get paid. And the foreman says, hey, those of you that got hired last, come up here. Those of you who got hired at 3 o'clock, come up here. Those of you who got hired at noon, come on up here. Those of you who got hired at, the, at, uh, at 9 in the morning, you come up here. And so those who had been hired first, they've been watching this whole thing. And they saw the first ones get paid a full day's wages. The second one gets paid a full day's wages. The third group get paid a full day's wages. A fourth group get paid the full day's wages. And what do you think this first hired group was thinking? We deserve more. We deserve more because we've been working more. In fact, you know, when he says, he says, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner, those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching sun. And I worked all day in the sun, 
and I'm only getting what those who worked in the shade got. This is an unfair parable. I don't care how you read this. This is unfair. Let me, let me give you something else. Like they, the people who got hired at 6 o'clock in the morning were up at 6 o'clock in the morning. He didn't, he didn't go say, hey, I'm just going to hire the 10 of you who are at the front of the line. He hired everybody who was waiting to work at 6 o'clock. And when he came at 9 o'clock, there was a whole other group of people who didn't want to get up at 6 in the morning. And they were standing there looking for a job at 9 o'clock, and they just didn't want to work before 9 o'clock. And then it went at 12 o'clock when he came. He said, there's more people here not working. Why are you working? Well, nobody's hired us. Yeah, because you didn't show up. So you get these people watching, these very diligent. I'm the oldest child. You know what that means. That means I'm responsible for everything. Well, was. I still am. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, my youngest sister irritates me. Now we're talking, somebody says. <laughs> because she does not ever seem as responsible. She never gets up as early. Well, I don't know. She, she's grown up a little bit. But still, it's still there. I got to be careful. I don't, I don't, I don't want to unload, unload in this community my bitterness and my, you know, my resentment. It's not there. But it, there, there's something about this. Those people that are showing up first, they're responsible. Right? They're, man, we're here. Nine o'clock, they're almost as responsible. Noon, I don't know what you've been doing all day. Three o'clock, my goodness, how late did you stay up last night? Five o'clock, you are lazy ass. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. I mean, this is, this is the, you know, let's rewrite this one. Let's rewrite the title. You know the title on here isn't, isn't necessarily inspired. And, I, and I'm not sure what the title in your, in your uh, uh, Bible says, but, but it should say, The Unfair Landowner. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to say. This is super unfair. And if you were, if you were working for a boss, hey, you know that moment when, you're, when you've been working for a little while and there's a new hire? And you're sitting around at lunch or whatever you're doing, and, and, and somehow you just, you, you know you want to know what they got hired at, what wage they're getting. You know you want to know, but you don't want to outright ask it. And uh, somehow you're trying to figure out what they, and then when you discover that they're making as much money as you are, and you've been here three years, how do you feel? Or worse yet, you discover they just got hired, and they're not doing the same job as you, but they actually got hired for a little bit more than you're making right now. Not that that ever happens. But you're, you're just, I can't even use the word in church. Maybe Wednesday. You are so aggravated and upset because it's so unfair. You're treated unfair. Jesus is trying to communicate that. This is so unfair. But did you notice the first thing he said? The kingdom of heaven's like this. Ooh. I'm not sure I like this. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven in my eyes is unfair. I love how Jesus answers them. Hey, friends. <laughs> friends. <laughs> it's kind of like preventative. <laughs> friends. I haven't been unfair. Of course Jesus knew what they were thinking. 
I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day? Take your money, go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. That, that last line, just I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, except Jesus is saying, just so you know, it's still unfair. <laughs> it, it, somehow in this passage, this, here's what I get first off. This, somehow in this passage, the way we think isn't quite the way God acts. Right, because we're... We're annoyed by this. We're frustrated by this. You know, it's okay if it's somebody else's story, but when it's our stories, we're angry about it. Not fair. And Jesus is saying, but that's how the kingdom of God is. Now, you know, let me bear right up front. I know, I know some of you have heard this parable before. Some of you have heard this parable before? A few of you? Yeah. And typically we'd say, you know, this is what this parable says is that those people who accept Jesus into their life, it doesn't matter whether they've been a Christian for 100 years or 99 years, or they've only been a Christian for five minutes, we all get to go to heaven. And we're okay with that. Are we? I mean, most of the time we're okay with that. Like, because it would be totally unchristian to not be okay with that. Right. So, so we're, 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 we're basically okay with this. But, but there's something else in this, because this doesn't just speak to how God re responds to our, our desire for salvation. This speaks to the character of God. And, and what we think is the character of God is we see God acting with us in transactional terms. I do this for you, he does that for me. I mean, come on, let's face it, Western world, we, we read the Bible like that all the time. If I when, I, when I've given God, how come you haven't blessed me? When I've, when I've sowed into a relationship, why haven't I reaped from that relationship? When I've done things, and then we really get messed up when things don't work out the way we expect they will. <laughs> I'm a child of God. I'm entitled to certain things. Hello, you who are millennials, that's not Bible. <laughs> That one didn't go over as well as I hoped. A lot of millennials in this room. I feel the tension increasing. I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to say goodbye at the door. I don't want to get crucified here. We, 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 tend to view, we tend to view God's relationship with us. We call it a relationship, but really what we act like is it's a transaction. Salvation's free, but everything else I earned. You know what? If you're not doing well in your life, it's just because you're not praying enough. If you're not doing this in your life, it's, if God's not blessing you, it's just because you're not giving enough. If you're not doing this, it's all this stuff. It's my fault if God's not doing that for me. What is that? That's a transaction. And yet, and we think about God as a transaction. That's why that, that parable bothers us, because fundamentally, that's how we view our whole relationship with God. Why should Curtis get blessed? I'm more spiritual than him. At least I'm older. And, and inside, we want to be happy for other people. When God blesses them, but the truth is we're frustrated and we're, we're inside of us, we're going, yeah, but I, I should be blessed too. Because we understand God is transactional. 
Well, let's look at, let's look at what God's really like. And, well, let me just back up for one moment. If we all feel that way, that, that's not the way God intended it to be. God didn't intend us to understand him in terms of our transaction. He intended us to understand and relate to him in terms of his love and relationship for us. If you go back right to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that Adam and Eve were created and they were wandering around in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, they were, God was coming, talking, and there was no, there was no transaction at all until something happened and we, you know, said, Adam and Eve ate from the tree. I always love how we wonder about what that tree is, and this is just kind of a side, just because I think it's kind of interesting. Is I don't think it was an apple. I, I think it was a fig tree. The reason I think it was a fig tree is because the, it says as soon as they ate, their eyes were open and they were shamed. Well, if you're shamed, have you, you know, somebody walks in and you, you grab the closest thing next to you to cover yourself up. So I think they grabbed the closest thing to them, and the Bible says they put on fig leaves. Because there's actually no other reason why somebody will wear fig leaves, because fig leaves are like aloe vera. I don't even know what aloe vera is. One time we were in Hawaii, and my wife got a really bad sunburn. And uh, we were broke, so uh, we, she said, can you get some aloe vera to put on the burn? And I went, yes. And so I went out, and I found some aloe vera plant. <laughs> you know, it's aloe vera. You know, and so I brought this leaf in, which is, look, kind of looks like cactus. And I put that on her, not thinking, I put that on her burn. We got over it. We're married 42 years. We got over it. But it, there's no reason in the world you would do that. There's no way you'd put a fig leaf on if it wasn't the closest thing available to solve the immediate problem. Anyway, that's just an aside. So next time you're talking about it, you can say, no, it was a fig. Pastor Dave said it was a fig. It's got to be a fig. But so... So they did immediately, but, but here's, here's what happened, and, and I'd love to, if you've got your Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and I'm, I'm reading it in the New International Version. So Adam and Eve have now sinned, and here's God speaking. He's spoken to Eve already, and he's telling them what it will be like for them now. God's not saying, and this is an important distinction, God's not saying, I'm going to make it like this for you. God's saying, as a natural consequence of your decision not to believe me, these things are going to happen. It's descriptive. If I can put it this way, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. God's not saying, I'm doing this. God's saying, this is what happens because you did that. Right? And it's an important distinction. So there's so much other thing in here, but in, in verse 17, he says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. You get the kind of underlying here. If you work the soil, you get to eat from it. All the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Paul echoes something similar in the New Testament. He says when you don't work, you don't get to eat. There's a transactional thing, although the reality is what Paul was trying to say is that when you don't eat, you're really not entitled to take advantage of other people's generosity. So here, right at the very beginning, the fall becomes this, this change in mentality, if you will, this change in perspective, perception of how God begins to treat us. 
Now God's saying, because you chose to know this, because you chose to disobey me, because you chose to eat of the tree, I told you, don't eat of it. You're going to find that now you begin to view the world and you begin to view me as a give and take. If I give you, you give me. As a, re- a transactional thing. If I work a certain amount, I'll get a certain amount. Begin to exchange as transactions with God. So it changed. It changed. I, I would suggest to you that that's the whole, that's one of the big consequences of the fall of humanity is we begin to look at things in transaction instead of relationship. The core of the garden was God in relationship with people. Core of the fall is us trying to buy God's favor, trying to do those kinds of things. So let me give you a few little thoughts along the way with this. How many of you have heard the word covenant? Covenant? Heard the word covenant? Have you heard the word contract? Right? We've heard covenant contract. And most of the time we think covenant and contract are pretty similar. And if you look up in the dictionary, you look up covenant, you look up contract, you'll, you'll find that they actually are pretty similar. They're a, a, an agreement, they're a, a, a mutual agreement whereby we decide to do this and somebody else does this. But the difference between a contract and a covenant, if you look at them in the dictionary, is a covenant is intended to, uh, sometimes you'll see the terminology, it's a perpetual, it's, it's in effect for perpetuity. It's like it doesn't have an end date to it. Which is interesting because we call marriage a covenant because it doesn't have an end date to it. So as long as I am alive, I will fulfill this. Whereas a contract is, for five years I'll do this. Right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a different thing. So it's interesting to me that in the, in the Bible, you really don't see the word contract a lot. You see the word covenant a lot. In fact, in in the Bible itself, and just in the New International Version, the word covenant comes up over 370 times. That's a lot of times. And most of the time, that's God saying, I've made a covenant with you. So think about this. God, I've made this agreement. God's made this agreement with us where he says, I'm going to be like this towards you. No end date. Multi-generations. It's just going to keep going and going and going. In fact, that word covenant is so strong in the Bible, the Old Testament has it over 320 times that God commits to do that. And the difference between a covenant, let me tell you the difference between a covenant primarily and a contract, is a contract tends to protect a transaction. Right? So we have a building here, so we have a lease. Do we? Anyway, it's a contract that specifies how long we can stay how much we pay to stay for a period of time, right? A covenant wouldn't do that. You might have a covenant on your property, which means that that covenant uh, says that certain, maybe it's an easement or that the, the, uh, uh, the city can come and they could put uh, water lines at a certain party. And it's a covenant because it goes past your lifetime and succeeds several owners. So God doesn't ever talk to us in contract terms. God always talks to us in covenant terms. Because, here's the big one, a contract protects a transaction, a covenant protects a relationship. Right? So God talks to us in these kinds of terms in the Bible about this covenant. So from his end, he's saying, look, I'm doing these things because I'm protecting my relationship. 
And I won't take you to much of specific verses, but if you, if you read your Bible, especially your Old Testament, you'll discover God saying, you know, I'm kind of putting up with this because I covenanted with you. In fact, there's a passage in, um, I'm going to say it's in Hosea, where, where God says, essentially says, I know that I really should be uh, punishing you, but because of my covenant, you're still here. It's interesting, when it comes to transaction, the only transactions we want is when we put something in, not when, when we should get something negative back. God looks into our life and, and relates to us on a covenant basis rather than a contract basis because he's a relational God. He's a relational God. The second, second kind of thought along this is, is this whole idea in the Bible. The, the strongest metaphor, the biggest metaphor in the Bible, if you want to understand the Bible, is family. From the New Testament, or sorry, from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, God describes himself in family terms. In the Old Testament, a lot of times it's in marriage, which is incidentally still part of family. And, uh, and where he says, I'm in a relationship, a marital relationship with Israel. And uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have, a children, have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That's a, that's a horrible passage. But he's saying, hey, this, the relationship is bigger to me than the sin. Remember when I was growing up, when I sinned, I was sure that meant I didn't go to heaven. Make one mistake, I'm not going to heaven. You know. In fact, when I first got into marriage, when we first got married, and we celebrated our 42nd anniversary a couple weeks ago, and uh, when I first got married, I, I, I was sure that I would pay the price for everything I did. <laughs> and as the relationship got stronger, it wasn't that I didn't have consequences for what I did, it's just they didn't seem to matter as much. So in... Hosea, God lays out and he says, he says, I'm, a, I'm in a relationship. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, he's, it says the seven, one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to him, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lord, church. It means the church. So God speaks to us in relational terms. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, which says our Father. Relationship. God doesn't ask us to pray to him and say, our judge, our arbitrator, our contract maker. He always says, come to me in terms of relationship. Come to me in terms of relationship. One of the um, most difficult books in the Bible, I think, to understand is the book of Job. Because Job doesn't make sense with my default understanding of God. Because when I read Job, we have Job who is, like, he's blessed. Like, he's totally blessed. God's, he's got all this stuff going for him. He's got family. He's got business. He's got good uh, reputation. He's got all the things that we would say are, is a sign of a godly person. And the devil comes along and says to God, you know, God, he's only doing that because of what you Give him. Transactional. And God says, no, that's not the case. Go ahead. 
Take away the things that you think I gave him. Take away the things that you think he's basing his relationship with me on. And he does. And Job's incredible. Because he says, even if I die, I'm not cursing God. Even if he takes everything away, Lord gives, Lord takes away. He goes, it's not, it's not about that. And the whole book is his friends trying to tell him, you've done something wrong, that's why you're, you're getting just what you deserve. And the truth is, he wasn't getting anything he deserved. Because God didn't look at him that way. Right? It's so hard to understand. And at the end of it, God says, Job, you're the only one that, made, that knew it. And the rest of you guys, you're lousy counselors. That's what he says. Job, please pray for them. <laughs> right? Because God's not looking at us in a, in, a, in a transactional sense. We go through and say, man, I messed up. God's going to do this. Or vice versa. God, I've done so much for you. How come you're not blessing me like other people that I know aren't as good as me? Ah, don't tell me we don't think that. We think that all the time. So we find this relational side of God, this family side of God. Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. You know, family is an interesting thing. And all of you have a family, you go, yes, it is. For those of you with little kids, it gets even more interesting. I know you think it can't get more interesting than it is right now, but it gets even more interesting. They grow up, and it gets even more interesting. <laughs> Family's interesting. Let me, just, let me just go someplace for a moment here. There's something about our church, and Pastor Josiah, in the early session, he talked, or before uh, in our team meeting, he talked about the honest journey. It's one thing. If you hang around church a little while, you'll notice there's people here with, who are openly uh, in sin, I suppose we could say. And um, we have some people who attend our church who are living together. We have some people who attend our church who are in homosexual relationships. We have stuff like that. <clears throat> and um, sometimes I hear people say, well, how can you have that in your church? That's one side of it. And how can you let us come to your church without affirming us? How many of you heard the term affirming church? Can I, can I, just let me be really blunt and upfront. We're not an affirming church. We're an accepting church. And the reason I'm talking about that in relation to family is because my wife and I have four kids. And there was a whole lot of times in their life when I could not affirm what they were doing. But I accepted them and walked with them, even when I couldn't affirm. So if somebody asks you if we're an affirming church, no, we're an accepting church. But we don't affirm anybody's sin. But we accept everybody where they are. I grew up in church where you couldn't be who you really were on Sunday. You pretended. You know what that does? It makes your sin secret. And when it's secret, you can't get over it. You just hang on to it your whole life. But we're a family that understands how to accept without affirming. Because that's how God works with us. Are you okay with that? So 
Sometimes we've got to ask questions that people are answering, or we've got to answer questions that people are asking, even if it's not out loud. The last thing is this. <clears throat> Why do I see Jesus as relational? Why do I see God as relational? I, I see God as relational, relational is because Jesus came to earth and did all of his teaching through stories. So well, what's that mean? Well, <clears throat> this is why I think that's so profound. Have you ever told somebody the story, a story and they got, didn't get the point? All the time. If you were the God of heaven and you came to earth and you wanted to instruct people, wouldn't you think it would make more sense to give them clear statements? <clears throat> you know, like, God is love. Instead of telling a story. Because in stories, it's so easy to get it wrong. It's so easy to go like, I don't understand. I mean, how many times have we read the parables and go like, I don't really know what's happening here. In fact, the disciples often would say, Jesus, could you please explain that to us? <clears throat> and yet Jesus chose, and we think it's a trademark Jesus thing, to tell stories. He chose to teach through stories. You know why that is? I've been wondering about that. You can't really understand a story until you get to know the storyteller. And in order to understand the story, you actually have to have a conversation about things. And you, you have to get closer. There's a... There's a story in the Old Testament, and I, and I love this. It's a guy by the name of Elijah, and Elijah was a prophet, hellfire and brimstone prophet. He's intense. And, uh, and, and on one occasion, he, he has this, he has this uh, confrontation with, with prophets of Baal, uh, false god. And he, in this whole thing, he calls down fire from heaven, literally calls down fire from heaven, and it burns us the, the sacrifice. He calls it down, and then he immediately goes into clinical depression. He does. He hears the queen say, I, if the, you know, basically makes an oath and saying, you know, I'll die if by tomorrow I don't kill you. Yeah. And Elijah, who's just called down fire from heaven, who's very human, by the way, runs and hides. Won't go through the whole story, but he ends up, finally at the end, he's, he's in this cave. <laughs> if you've ever been in depression, it feels like that. And he's in this cave, and God says, I'm going to talk to you. So he steps to the edge of the cave, expecting to hear God. And this storm comes along. And the Bible's really kind of cool about it, because it says God wasn't in that one. And this whirlwind and thunder and light, all this stuff comes along, this loud thing comes along, and, and God's just not in that. And then the, then the text says, and God spoke in a still, quiet voice. Yeah. It's always kind of puzzling that one a little bit. You know, here's Elijah. He's really seriously depressed. He's, he's, in soul and, you know, he's looking for a sign from God, and God, all this stuff happens. But he doesn't find God in that until Scripture says God speaks in a quiet voice. Can hear what I said. I just said, Nicole, can you hear me? She didn't hear me. She's too far away. See, here's, here's the thing with the quiet voice. You have to get close to hear it. 
you have to get close to here. Why would God do that if the point was hearing? The point was never hearing. The point was being close. God is a relational God. More than anything else, yes, does God want to bless you? Absolutely. But not because you earned it. Not because you prayed the right prayer, got the right formula. God wants to bless you because he loves you. Things that happen in our life don't mean that God stopped loving us just because things stopped going our way. God didn't stop loving Jesus on the cross. God loves you more than you can even imagine, more than we could ever figure it out because if we come down to the truth of it in our hearts, even me, there's times when I'm in front of God and say, God, I got no idea why you want to be around me because I don't get anywhere near what I think I should be. And so I start bargaining with God. And you know what? God never says, let's make a deal. Never. Never. If we can change the way we view God, we will have so much more freedom. When we're not busy worrying about whether we've broken the rules or made the rules or done the right thing, it gets so much easier to just love God and act like people who love God. Should we tithe? Should we come to church? Yeah, I think so. Not because it earns anything, but actually I just think that's the way a person who loves God behaves. A person who knows that God loves them shows up with other people that God loves. People that knows that God loves them does all sorts of things just because I can. Not because I get anything back, because I've already gotten everything I could possibly have from God. Come on, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.